0: Let's turn this morning in our Bibles to Colossians 2. We're going to read again verses 8 through to 15. This will be the final time when we will read this passage during this series of messages. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. Let's hear the word of God, reading of course from the authorized verse. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. In Him also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, kneeling it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, this morning... As we continue with our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians My text is found in Colossians 2.15 And it reads as follows And having spoiled principalities and powers He made a show of them openly Triumphing over them in it Now I've entitled today's sermon Satan's Conquest by the Saviour's Cross Literally, this text of Scripture deals with the triumph of Christ in conquering Satan and evil forces under his command. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the prince of English Baptist preachers, preached a masterly sermon on this. He called it Christ Triumphant. And I would encourage you to read it, or you can listen to somebody else reading it online. Now, let's remember Colossae was an infant church. It hadn't been long formed. It had the blessing of the Lord upon it. Souls had been saved. Saints had been gathered together. These people, remember, were mostly Gentiles, non-Jews, converted out of paganism prior to their conversion. They had no real knowledge of God or the Word of God, no real knowledge of the personal work of Christ. And not long after the formation of this church, a fledgling work, despite having Epaphras as a faithful minister A great danger arose And that danger threatened The very life and existence Of the New Testament church And what was that danger? It was the arrival of false teachers With false teaching Certain men came in Certain men rose up And they had false teaching In their heart and mind These men argued and proclaimed You Gentile believers You must be physically circumcised In order to be really saved Added to that You need a special wisdom That only our uh, group uh, can impart to you. Also, you, you need the mediation of angels in the spirit world to mediate between you and God. Now, in the face of this threat, the Apostle Paul dealt with these errors and others by setting forth the truth about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and emphasized to these Colossians the true way that they were saved. He's, he's wanting them to think, you see. they have got to think. And he wants them to remember how they became Christians. Because he was endeavoring to comfort God's people, to help God's people, to, to encourage uh, God's people. And, and he was saying to them, literally, you don't need physical circumcision. You don't need this special wisdom that they're talking about. Uh, you, you don't need the mediation of angels. Why? Because you're spiritually alive in Christ. That's what Colossians 2, 11 and 12 is all about. And also, you have been forgiven all your sins. You've got a full and free pardon forever for all your sins in Christ. Remember, he said at the end of verse 13, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, how was that possible? On what ground? And last week's sermon dealt with that. The only scriptural basis on which God pardons sin Uh, Verse 14, listen to these words, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And remember, Paul was emphasizing what I'm rightly calling the condemning power of the law, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. It was a reference to a handwritten document, and clearly it's a reference to the law of God. In a real sense, the law was an adversary. It was the accuser of transgressors. It it confronted men with the message, Cursed is every one that does not abide by all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. Isn't that what Paul emphasized? Galatians 3 and 10. Deuteronomy 27 verse 26. The law contained so many rules and regulations of a ceremonial nature, a civil nature as well, references to food and fasts and feasts and offerings and dress. No one was able to abide or keep by their own power and strength these rules and regulations. The law's missionary role was to accuse of sin and to record that sin and trespass against us And the law cried out for the death penalty to be fulfilled because the wages of sin is death. But when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, a great change took place. He took that condemning power of the law and he annulled that part of the law when he died. In other words, he he fulfilled it in his precepts. He fully satisfied it in his penalty. He bore the curse. He fulfilled its shadows and types and ceremonies. It was nailed to the cross. The the, the condemning power of the law died when Christ died. And because of the substitutionary nature of Christ's sacrifice then those who are believers in Christ are no longer under the condemning nature of the law. Now, this doesn't mean you're no longer under the commanding power of the law. The commanding power of the law hasn't gone away. The law is still significant for the believer. You see, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, should be the believer's supreme delight. And the believer in Christ Wants to obey that law, strives to keep it out of gratitude for salvation. Not to be saved, but out of gratitude for salvation. He has received that salvation as a gift. And here's the second mighty act of God that Paul refers to. Not only are you alive in Christ, but you have been forgiven of all your trespasses. And God has even in Christ dealt with the condemning power of the law. Now here's the third thing. Not only are you alive and forgiven, and the, that condemning part of the law has been annulled, but you've also been delivered. Look at 2.15 again very quickly. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And it refers to the cross of Christ. Notice the word and. It's very important. Christ has triumphed over principalities and powers. He has made a show of them openly. He has spoiled them. He has triumphed over them in his cross work. This is a mighty word of comfort, folks. Let's get our eyes on what Christ did. How did we become a Christian? You were made spiritually alive. You've been forgiven all your trespasses. And you've been delivered from principalities and powers. Think of what you have in Christ. Don't be afraid. Rejoice. The battle has been won. Here's another aspect of God's saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, I have three things. And I want to try and get through them as quickly as possible. Firstly, let's think of the identity of the principalities and powers. Look at the text. And having spoiled principalities and powers. Underline those two words. Who are the principalities and powers referred to? Notice it's in the plural. I believe it's a reference to Satan and all his demonic forces. You see, when we let the Bible speak and compare Scripture with Scripture, remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Here's another prison letter. In verse 12 of chapter 6, he says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, so, so we're not fighting other human beings, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You see, I'm telling you this morning that Satan is a formidable, awesome energy. Here's a, a fearful powerful description of the powers of hell and darkness the word principalities which is plural means rulers rulers of darkness satan is the chief ruler under him are all the demons note the word powers that has to do with authority now i believe this morning in a real personal devil and that real personal devil has an army or a horde of demons, fallen angels under his command. And they exist and live to do his bidding. And the, the devil is not this uh, little figure uh, that you see running about with a five-pointed fork in his hand and, and, and red. Uh, that's only the, the, the image and the thought of puny, uh, depraved men. The devil portrays himself in the Bible as a subtle serpent. At other times as a roaring lion. And many times as an angel of light. So when you think of the word principalities and powers, young people, and you said, well, what is that talking about? Is that talking about the Queen Elizabeth II and the throne? Or, or is that talking about Nero? Or is that talking about somebody else? Ultimately, is to do with Satan and the demonic dark forces that have authority in this world. So there's the identity of the um, principalities and powers. Now, notice secondly, and this will be a wee bit longer, I want you to think of the authority now of the principalities and powers. Do you know that there's two areas in which the devil or Satan has authority over us? Two areas in which the devil triumphs over us. Now, think of this. Satan has a triumph over us in relation to death. I want you to think of Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember, they were sinless and perfect. They had fellowship with God. They had perfect union and communion. This was before the fall. And before the fall, Satan, or the serpent, had no power over Adam and Eve whatsoever. Remember what God said uh, to to Adam, um, Genesis 2 and verse 2. uh, Seventeen. But if the tree of the knowledge of good and evil Thou shalt not eat of it For in the day that thou eatest thereof Thou shalt surely die And the word surely is an adverb It means in dying Thou shalt die And this was God's warning In the covenant of works with Adam And um, Once they ate the forbidden fruit Remember Eve was beguiled by the serpent Adam took it out of Eve's hand Because he was with her Having heard the conversation A death sentence was handed out to Adam and Eve they died spiritually at that moment. They were cut off uh, from fellowship with God. That's why Adam and, uh, and Eve hid themselves when they heard the voice of God calling in the garden in the cool of the day. They began to die physically. They noticed a the change in their body. They began to age. That's why people age. It's because of sin. And then they were in danger of dying spiritually. Eternal death and damnation from God. Now, I want you to understand this in that moment of the fall into sin, death came into the world. Where did death come from? Did it just evolve? No. Death came by sin. In the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, the apostle um, Paul says this, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, Adam and Eve and all their posterity in them as in Adam all die were designated and branded sinners under a sentence of death. And the moment the sentence of death fell upon them Adam and Eve fell under the jurisdiction of Satan. And therefore he could call on God as God to inflict that sentence of death on Adam and Eve. In other words, he could go to God and demand that death sentence be carried out. Let me illustrate for the children, maybe for us adults as well. I'm not a huge fan of C.S. Lewis. I know there's a representation of him in East Belfast. I question a lot of his professed Christianity. Do you know that when he died, he believed in purgatory? That's only one of the things. But in the film or the book, *The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe*, remember the White Witch beguiled Edmund, and what did the White Witch remind Aslam when she spoke to him? She said about Edmund, "There's a law, and the law is this: once the person comes over to me, because that's what Edmund did, then he become a traitor." And therefore the law is that the traitor must die. You see, that was a wee hint at what was taking place here in the Garden of Eden. The devil has a hold over every one of us. He has a power and a right to demand the death sentence. It's the power of death. He demands that we die. Now you think of this, on the one hand the devil, Satan, whatever you call him, tempts us to sin. And break the law of God. And then he comes and accuses us to our face. Or goes to God and accuses us. Because he's the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12 and verse 10. And then he, he demands further that we are put to death. He charges us before God. These are worthy to die. And he demands it. How do I know that? We'll turn over there to, to one scripture. The book of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. You should underline this in your Bible. You should think of these words For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him. Notice these words that had the power of death. Who's got the power of death? Look at the book. That is the devil and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The devil has a claim on you. The devil has a hold on you. And it's his by perfect right. It's a just and legal right. In fact, it's an irrefutable right. The the devil has a triumph over us in relation to death Because the law says the soul that sinneth it shall die The wages of sin is death Satan remember beguiled Eve And behind the fall into sin, death and misery He now calls on God to fulfill that penalty Adam and Eve as I've said died spiritually cut off from a relationship with God And fellowship with the Lord They began to die physically And they were in danger of dying eternally Remember the Lord Jesus called the devil The prince of this world John 14 and 30. Think of it. The prince of this world, the devil, Satan has a legal claim that the power of the death must be honored, must be carried out. And you see, according to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 40, the uh, place called hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And he wants everyone to join him in that awful place called hell. He, he claims and demands the fulfillment of the death penalty so that people can join him in that awful place. Now, do you see the dreadful position you're in this morning if you're out of Christ? God must honor his word. He said to Adam, In dying, thou shalt die. And God is bound by his own word. And God gave the devil. The legal claim To demand what he demands The power of death To be implemented Now that's his authority over us It's his legal right Now I trust you grasp that And I want to tell you something else Not only a triumph over us With the power of death But listen to this very carefully A triumph in us In depravity He has authority in us Do you know that Satan has a legal power in us to control us? He holds sway over our lives. Now, I know what you're thinking, but that can't be real. That's something medieval from Martin Luther's time. That's foreign to me. That's maybe a lie, Mr. McLaughlin, is it? Let's turn to the book. Let the Bible speak. Turn over there to 1st. John chapter 5 verse 19 1 John chapter 5 and 19 I can't open this up But we read in the scriptures John 5 and 19 And we know that we are of God And the whole world Lieth in wickedness Do you see that word lieth? I want you to think of a mother carrying a baby And the baby's in her arms And where's the baby lying? It's in her arms Or think of Jesus lying in the manger that's the same word. Now you think of sinners. And where are they? They're lying asleep in the lap of wickedness. Asleep spiritually. There's a carelessness about the things of God. There's a numbness to God and his word. There's no concern about their soul or no concern about their sin or no concern about salvation. In fact, there's a fearlessness to sin. There's no terror. Why? Because they're in the lap of wickedness. And what does the mummy do when the baby makes a cry? Hushes the baby to sleep. Any stirring, any concern, any cry? Hey, sleep there. Sleep, baby. See, see, that's the picture. And remember the Lord Jesus said in John 8, verse 44, to the Jews, the religious Jews of his day, Ye are of your father, the devil. Over there in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 4, and in the uh, verse 4, we read these words, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, is the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, those that are out of Christ this morning, there's a spiritual blindness upon them. There's a veil over their mind and their understanding. There's a spiritual deafness about them. There's a veil over their ears, the voice of Christ. It means nothing to them. They're they're spiritually in the dark. They can't see nor understand. It's a joke. It's not real. It's all a nonsense. It's silly. Why? Because they've never been born again of the Spirit of God. You see, there's a satanic element at work in us. We love sin. We feel at home in our sin. We don't take God and his word seriously. We don't take God's son seriously. We don't take God's day seriously. We glory in that sin. We glory in shame. And what's behind men and women that live like this? Who's controlling them? Who's motivating them? Here's the answer. The principalities and powers that rule the world and have authority over us. You see, we think we're neutral, but we're not. And the devil, of course, comes to the religious, the respectable men, the the righteous men in their own eyes, and their heart's like stone to God and the gospel. They can't see that every thought is sin, every word is sin, every deed is sin. They're happy in their lifestyle with their religious, respectable righteousness in their own eyes. And they can't see themselves that they're in the lap of wickedness being lulled to sleep in that state. You you think not only of being rocked to sleep, but you think of the rottenness of many to sin, the riotous living of many, the horrible depravity, the inhumanity to man. Think of what people do to other people, terrible things. Think of this Texas school shooting, 19 wee children murdered, two teachers. It's not a mercy from God, I say this respectfully, that we don't see many more of these things taking place. Why? Because ungodly, unconverted, unregenerate men are under the controlling, motivating power of of the devil and the hordes of demons. They're under the sway of the destroyer. He is the power of death. He is the power of depravity. He he goads and tempts and pushes us towards sin and iniquity to, to accuse us and, 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 and then and then to, to call for the death penalty. Because he is a goal to make every sinner like himself and to end up with him in hell. Oh, we need to see the authority of the principalities and powers. And one final thing. I want you to think of, if we go back to Colossians chapter 2, um, I want you to think of the, the victory of the principalities and powers. In Colossians 2, we read these words. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made us show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Two things. Christ spoiled principalities and powers. Now, you see, what does that mean? We use the word spoiled. We think of something going off. That that ham in the fridge is spoiled. Or or that butter in the fridge has been spoiled. In other words, it's ruined. Or, Or you've spoiled my dress. You've spilled something on it. How could I go out looking like that? But that's not the meaning. You see, the word spoiled is a military term. And it's connected to the spoils of war. Think of King Saul. Two sons died uh, along with King Saul in Mount Gilboa. And on the morning, the Philistines came on the slain. And they stripped them of all that was valuable. In other words, they took away the spoils of war. Their clothing, their boots, their their armaments, their their gold, their silver, whatever they had. They took all that was valuable. And you see, the teaching of the Bible is this, that the Lord Jesus by the wonder of coming into the world as incarnate God, going all the way to the cross and dying and atoning substitutionary sacrificial death on behalf of his people, and then bodily rising again from the dead, he took the spoils of war of the devil. He stripped them of his power. He took away his authority. Literally, he disarmed the devil. He took away the legal authority. To harm and hurt the true people of God Took away the power of death over them Took away the power of controlling them That's why he says sin shall no longer have dominion over you For you're no longer under the dominion of the devil You're you're now under the, the power of Christ See the death of Jesus Christ on the cross young people Was a mighty triumph for the Lord Jesus himself It looked like a defeat I know that People say it was a tragedy But it wasn't I know it looked like a a victory for the devil. Can you imagine the devil when Christ was put to death and then put into the tomb? We have won. Christ is dead. That's the end of Christ. Hallelujah. But then on the third day, Jesus Christ arose bodily, literally, tangibly from the dead. And the death of Christ and his resurrection turned out to be the devil's greatest defeat. Who's the head of all principality and power? Who's the head of the devil and every demon in hell? Look at Colossians 2 verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. He's not only the head of the church. He's not only the head of the universe. But he's the head of all principality and power. In other words, the devil and all the hordes of demons have to be subject to Christ the lord jesus came into the world and bound the strong man how did he do it by defeating him that had the power of death over us by defeating him who sought to control us and then he took a spoil and treasure you see, the, the, the reference in Colossians 2.15 in it is a reference to Jesus Christ and the cross and his finished work. The death of Christ, keep this in mind, stripped the devil of all his legal claims over us. And I know that some don't believe in a literal bodily resurrection. They tell us that that's not historical or not to take it literally. It didn't literally take place, but that's a lie. I believe Jesus Christ rose literally and bodily from the dead, just as I believe in a literal historical atom. Christ spoiled principalities and powers. Notice something else. He not only spoiled principalities and powers, but he made a, a public spectacle of principalities and powers. Do you see that in the text? In having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He not only exposed Satan for all his evil, wickedness, and vileness, and depravity, but he he conquered Satan by his death and by his resurrection. And then the Bible tells us he led captivity captive. I want you to think for a moment as we come to a conclusion of a Roman general. He's returning from war. The spoils of war are with him, captives in chains. He's got wagons of gold and silver and other precious treasure. He might even have people walking with a map of the land that he has conquered for Caesar to see. This is called a triumphal possession. And that's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ won by his finished work a great victory over the devil, and he leads a triumphal possession of all the captives and the spoils of war of the devil. He makes a show of them openly. Look at this, boys. Here's what I... And remember the first convert... The dying thief. There was the first fruit of his finished work. Remember how he became a Christian? You see, it's not just becoming a Christian by deciding to trust in the Lord Jesus. There's more to becoming a Christian than putting your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. There's a great transaction takes place. And not only from that first convert, but every convert since is a part of that triumphant possession of Christ. The conversion of every sinner sees Christ triumphant. Christ the victor. Now let me finish with a few thoughts. You and I share in this victory of Christ. We no longer live under the sentence of death. We're no longer under the spell and control of the devil. The Lord Jesus has set us free. You've got to think of our position in Christ. In Christ, are you in Christ or are you without Christ? That's key. Ninety times Paul emphasized in Christ. Think of our provision in Christ. We triumph in him. Isn't that what as as we finish this morning over there in uh, First Corinthians chapter two and in the uh, verse um, fourteen? Sorry, that's the wrong reference. This would be 2 Corinthians. Apologies. Yes, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and make it manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. Think of those words. Always causes us to triumph in Christ. You see, death is the last enemy. Isn't it easy to die in the battlefield? You're shot. You're blown up. But do you think of somebody suffering a long, slow, agonizing death? A, a, a death due to terminal illness, illnesses at work in the body. And I'm thinking of a Christian lady. She had a Roman Catholic nurse and she was dying with a terminal illness in the body. And a few hours before she died, the, the nurse said to her, Do you want me to call for the minister? What about someone from the church coming? To prepare you for death. You see, that's, that's Roman Catholicism. The last rites, getting the priest. You need the church. And this is what the dying woman said No, it's okay. I know death's master. And the nurse said, What are you talking about? I know death's master. She said, I do. His name is Jesus Christ master, master's not the devil because I'm in Christ and in his provision I have victory over fear. I have, I'm, I'm at peace because I'm going home to be with the Lord. Think of our power in Christ. We live in the triumph of Christ. We are safe in Christ. The devil can accuse us and tempt us and, and frustrate us but the devil can't get you back. You belong to Christ now. And we have the triumph of his crucifixion, his resurrection. The triumph of his intercession. Do you know we're hailed up this morning by the prayers of Christ? It's Christ that causes us to triumph. The triumph isn't in the church. The triumph is in Christ. And there's a difference. And I hear people saying, well, we don't want any triumphalism today. We have nothing to celebrate. Well, Well, they're wrong. Because our triumph is in Christ. It's not a spirit of physical or political triumphalism. It's a spiritual triumph in Christ. We're not in submission to the church. We're in total submission to Christ. It's Christ who causes us to triumph. That's our position. That's our provision. And that's our power. The victory of the powers of darkness. May the Lord take these few thoughts this morning and apply them to us.